When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Amanda Head. She is the founder and managing editor of The Hollywood Conservative. You can see the picture in the background. How are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? (laughs) Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, how are things you're in LA right now, right? I am in LA. Um, We just passed the, so yesterday was the deadline for the recall Gavin effort. Yes. Um, We needed 1.5 million signatures, but the final count was uh, 2,117,730. So what they've said all along is that like 12 to 14% of them will be invalid signatures. It's funny how, um, how much they're scrutinizing these signatures this time around. <laughs> Not the election. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, um, but even on the higher end, even if they threw out 17%, that would still put us at like 1.7 million. So the recall uh, election is a go. Um, now it's just kind of sitting and waiting for that to happen. It will likely be this fall, but Democrats are already trying to pull their dirty tricks and they're trying to push it to the next regularly scheduled primary because they know that Democrats, they have a, you know, more Democrats will turn out. So they're already trying to pull some shady stuff, which is not a surprise. So anyway, we'll see how it goes from here. You know, it's, it's an, a very strange process. There, basically, when the recall takes place, there are two questions on the ballot. Do you want to recall Gavin Newsom? And who do you want to take his spot? But anybody can throw their hat in the ring. Like there's no primary process for it. So like in 2003, when we recalled Gray Davis, there were 135 names on the ballot. So it's like the wild, wild west out here, literally. <laughs> it, no, it really is. And what's so amazing to me is how few people actually know what the process is. Yeah, so, yeah. Right? Like people are all excited. They're like, oh, Gavin Newsom's going to be recalled. And they're like, okay. And then what does that mean? <laughs> you know? Right. Nobody yeah. Really and, 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 you know, the, there's a, a cautionary tale for us because obviously we don't want to have, you know, three or four big name Republicans on the ballot and then right. dilute the vote among them. We've got it. We've got to pick one and, and everybody let's go with that one. So we'll see. All right. Yeah. So I'm very curious, Hollywood conservative, you and I have similar kind of backgrounds. You were a singer as an actress producer, and both of us have, you know, moved into political arena. How how on earth did that happen for you and why? Yeah, it's, um, (laughs) it's interesting story. I mean, just, just like you, it's like, 
you know, you leave that industry and you think that you're going to um, a more saner, stable industry, but you're really just kind of jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. So basically, you know, I, I moved out to LA in 2006 to pursue music. I did that for about 10 years. I was in a pop duo with another gal um, and we had, you know, a really good amount of success. We had two songs on the Billboard Mainstream Top 40, two songs on the Billboard Dance Top 40. We toured the country. We opened at South by Southwest. Um, we had, you know, a good amount of success. And um, in January of 2016, I kind of had one of these come to Jesus moments where I was like, okay, you know, I'm in my 30s. The whole pop star thing definitely has a shelf life. So I should start cultivating something new that will keep me liquid. Uh, so, um, so I bailed from music and I, I kind of had, you know, a little bit of like, um, I guess grief over that for a couple of days. And then I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? And I've always been very outspoken about politics. Even when I was in the music industry, uh, I wasn't supposed to talk about politics because that was actually part of my contract. You can't talk about politics, religion, boyfriends, things like that, because they want you to appear single. So they don't want you to talk about boyfriends and then religion and politics. It just gets too messy. So right. my, you know, I, I wasn't supposed to be even talking about politics, but my nickname growing up, I'm from Alabama and everybody called me the mouth of the South because I always have an opinion about something. The day I don't have an opinion about something is the day that I have a tag on my toe. So um, I decided to, to move into some type of political media. I had no idea what that was going to look like. Um, but January 6th, I think, of 2016 is when I left music. And uh, a family friend of mine who uh, was actually a fan of the pop duo that I was in, we were called Stash, uh, he, he goes to CPAC every year and he's a big, um, political donor. And I knew him from the political circuit because he had done Fox news and MSNBC and CNN and all of these networks because, and for people who follow Supreme court cases and people who are jurist knowledgeable, um, a lot of people have heard of McCutcheon versus FEC. And it was a, a lawsuit that my friend Sean filed against the FEC regarding aggregate campaign limits, and I, I won't get into all the technicalities of it, but basically he argued that it was a suppression of free speech. Went all the way to the Supreme Court and he won. So he was doing this political circuit and talking on all the networks. So I called him up and I'm like, yo, um, I am not doing stash anymore. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go into political media. And he's like, why? <laughs> uh and he's like are you sure you want to do this are you sure you want to do this are you sure you want to do this I'm like yes 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 so he was going to CPAC that year and he ended up having an extra CPAC pass a general admission pass um that he wasn't going to be using so I was like cool I'll go to CPAC I have no idea what it is uh but I'll go so you know I immediately go online start googling flights and then I'm googling what is CPAC um, and so I like, I figure out what it is. And so I go on Vista print or some like, you know, cheap printing company online. I print off like a thousand business cards for $10. And I just put like Amanda head, the Hollywood conservative. Cause I'm like, I got to find a niche in the market somewhere. And there's this quote that I, sorry, I'm kind of taking a little side street here, but I, uh, there's this Loretta Lynn quote that she says, in order to be successful in life, you have to be first, best, or different. 
And so I was like, you know, I'm definitely not the first conservative in Hollywood, although sometimes it feels like I'm the only one. <laughs> I'm definitely not the best, and but I can be different because I, I knew that I was coming fresh off of a career in the music industry and, and starting, you know, this politics thing. I knew that, that I, could, I could corner the market on something that was very niche. So, um, so I decided to go with the Hollywood conservatives. So I go to CPAC and this same friend, Sean McCutcheon, uh, had a booker who booked him on radio shows and on all of the major networks to talk about his Supreme Court case. So Sean calls up his his booker and he's like, hey, you know, would you mind just as a favor to me booking my friend Amanda on some radio shows on Media Row at CPAC? And he's like, who? And Sean's like, she's okay. She's okay. She's not going to make you look bad. Like, it's fine. <laughs> so, so fortunately, uh, Josh, this a Booker, who's actually still great, still a great friend of mine. He came to my wedding and everything. Um, Josh took a leap of faith and booked me on some radio shows on Media Row. So I did, I don't know, three or four radio shows. And by the time I got to the end of Media Row, someone from the station that I had done first in the day found me. And he said, um, we were losing a host. One of our hosts is going to a major network. Uh, we have a time slot opening up. Would you be interested in doing a radio show? And I'm like, okay, so that's what the Hollywood conservative is now. It's a radio show. <laughs> so, Cause I had initially thought, you know, I'll just do like a video blog. I'll do videos on YouTube or something. So then I was like, okay, well, I guess now we're doing this. So, um, so that was the end of February, beginning of March of 2016. And by March 30th, I, started my radio show it was on terrestrial radio on one station in prince of prussia pennsylvania i think uh but it's called okay. conservative commando yeah it's called conservative commandos radio and then and then i started getting picked up by other uh by other radio networks so that kind of turned into a couple different opportunities for me one of them was uh, i became the national spokesperson for a super PAC. They're actually the nation's largest pro-Trump super PAC. Um, a lot of people remember remember them before the 2016 election. They were called Stop Hillary PAC. And they put out all the big attack ads on Hillary Clinton. I, I think that they are actually largely responsible for Donald Trump getting elected. But they changed their name to Committee to Defend the President. And I became their national spokesperson. So I was doing Fox News all the time and MSNBC and CNN. And that was just whatever. So um, simultaneously, there's a net, there's a, a media company called the rebel, the rebel media, yeah. and they were started in Canada, but, um, they're, they're really amazing. They're really only one of the few honest news sources in Canada, but they're now they're worldwide. They have people here in the States. They have people in South America, the UK, the middle East, everywhere. So they were kind of doing a, a revamp of their whole lineup. They, they got rid of like six people and then hired, they hired five of us kind of like in a block. Um, it was me, uh, Sebastian Gorka, Kurt Schlichter, John Cardillo, and Katie Hopkins. And we all kind of got hired together at the Rebel. Wow. So I was doing this while I was doing the, the spokesperson thing for the pack. And then that turned into the network that I'm on now. And in the meantime, I started my website, The Hollywood Conservative. So it's all just kind of been you know, I always feel like you should have, have, you know, as many fires going as possible. Um, I've, I've yet to figure out if the best move is to work hard or work smart. 
Um, I've, I've done both over my, over my, the course of this career. So I can't actually attribute anything to specific to either one of them. So just do both work hard and work smart. That's my message. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe working hard is working smart, right? Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there's definitely something to be said for working smart, but I think that you still need to put in hard work. You know, I think it's kind of, absolutely people, right. Yeah. Like I think people tend to you know, when you say work smart, it's a very gimmicky thing. People are looking for kind of like whatever that quick fix is, you know, that instant Absolutely. gratification. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there are aspects of working smart to kind of my, my synthesis because, you know, $10 printing off a thousand business cards was definitely working smart because when yeah. I went to CPAC, I mean, I was like an NBA player at a strip club. Like I was just ATMing those business cards everywhere. And I was just networking my fanny off. But but the working hard aspect of it was I was the first person on the convention floor every day. I was the last person to leave everything at night. And I just I just worked, worked, worked and networked my butt off. And then, you know, lo and behold, all of these opportunities just kind of started coming. So Oh, and that's awesome. What was the biggest surprise in uh, switching careers, like getting into the political sector? I think the biggest surprise so far, um, and, and this is a pleasant surprise, um, you know, the music career, the Hollywood industry in general is just super, super gross. And there are obviously a lot of aspects of, of the political culture that are gross as well. However, um, all of the women that I have met in, in, well, not that I've met, but all of the women who I have worked with, women who I consider my colleagues in this career have been incredible. Um, one of our mutual friends, Gina Loudon, I met her at that very first CPAC and she, she was on another network at the time and she, she would give me one segment every Friday. She gave me a platform for me, for me to kind of like learn and grow and, you know, just kind of get comfortable doing media and such. Uh, The women at my network are all amazing. I, I honestly, there hasn't been quite so much that feeling of cattiness and, and backstabbing that you experience in a lot of careers. And I'm, I'm not saying that that doesn't exist in our world of political media, it definitely does. I have just been incredibly blessed to be surrounded by women who are incredibly supportive and kind and genuine and, and it's, it's wonderful. And that, that has been a very big surprise because this industry is very cutthroat, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty savage. <laughs> That, that's amazing to hear. I mean, I've definitely experienced it, that as well. And I've witnessed that as well. But that, that's really yeah. awesome to hear that. What do you think about the current Hollywood culture and how that is influencing our political sphere, our sociocultural sphere? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how we got where like- we are today. <laughs> yeah. You know, how, how we got here I, w- I was talking about this with someone the other day. A lot of people don't know in, in 1947, Walt Disney traveled to Washington DC to testify before Congress that communism was taking over Hollywood. Yeah. Um, he, he saw these indicators a long time ago, 70 years ago um, or so. Um, and I think that, I think that it has just 
gradually seeped into the Hollywood culture. I think, I, and I think that that has been allowed to happen because culture has just gone in the crapper. Um, you know, Western culture, our country was founded on Judeo-Christian values. Um, this country by and large has always had a very strong up and down moral compass. Um, I think that we, that, that society in general here has, has started to decay with such rapidity that it's hard to really get a handle on it and, and try to reverse or repair that. So I think that Hollywood, I, I don't know if we can necessarily blame Hollywood because I think Hollywood is just a symptom of that problem. Um, you know, the whole Cardi B performance on, what was that, Sunday or Monday, whenever the Grammys were, I didn't watch. Um, she, she is a symptom of societal decay. Uh, she's a symptom of a society who glorifies all the wrong things and banishes and criticizes all the right things. Um, mainstream Christianity, I mean, you know, Christians, as much as a lot of woke pastors don't want to admit it, Christianity is under attack. Um, from the church closings, I mean, it, the church closings were really kind of that, that bellwether thing that, that woke up a lot of Christians, I think. Yeah. Um, but the left hates Christianity because we are the largest, most organized opposition to secular life. Um, and so as a result, they, they take every opportunity to criticize us and, and, you know, Hollywood, I, I hope that their power and their platform is diminishing. I mean, you look at the numbers from the Grammys this time around, I think, I think the numbers were 6.6 .6 million viewers compared to 19 million last year, which 19 million last year blew my mind. I'm like, who the heck are these 19 million <laughs> who are people? These people? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and, and even when I was in the music industry, I've always hated the idea of award shows. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if everybody had se uh, senior superlatives in high school, like best looking, best dressed, whatever that kind of, you know, that kind of crap. Yeah. And that's just kind of what it feels like. It's like all of the, the cool kids, the jocks and cheerleaders patting themselves on the back. Why, yep. why support that? So even when I was in the industry, I've always felt that way, but now, especially the way it is now, I mean, I think most Americans have finally gotten to the place where they're like, you know what? I don't want to be lectured from someone who I deem, deem to be literally morally deplorable. And I don't blame them. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't yeah. either. And I, I definitely think that that is exactly what we're witnessing. But unfortunately, I think a lot of people don't know that and they still continue to look to Hollywood for to yeah. set the example. And what do you think? Yeah. So yeah, I think I think a lot of that. Um, again, this goes back to society, and 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 this this sounds kind of trite, but I think that there's so much truth to it. It comes down to a breakdown of the family. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the Yin Yang Twins lyrics. Um, those of my generation will remember the Yin Yang Twins, but there's a song where he yeah. talks about um, uh, the preachers aren't filling the preachers and teachers aren't filling the bleachers. It's the rappers. Um, and that's true. Um, you know, you look at, you know, certain urban communities and, and the, the rate of fatherlessness, but, but also e even when you do have two parent households, a lot of times there, there's no longer a commitment to cultivating a family atmosphere, to cultivating a relational atmosphere between the parents and kids pick up on that. And when you don't have parents 
who, who love each other and love their children and they show that every day and they don't take an active interest in their children's lives, then kids are obviously going to find interest elsewhere and they're going to find heroes elsewhere. So they are finding heroes in places where they shouldn't, frankly, shouldn't even be looking, but definitely not looking for someone uh, who, who they want to, you know, emanate their, uh, their morals and their character and their behavior and things like that. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's the fact that families have been so diminished in American society. You know, I mean, it feels like every other day you're, you're seeing someone make some kind of excuse for uh, single parent households. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that single parents can't raise wonderful children and that single parents aren't wonderful people themselves. Absolutely. They are. But as a Christian, I have always felt like, you know, it takes two to raise children. And there is a reason that the institution of marriage exists. It is quite literally an institution. And without that nuclear family, I think that you start to run into a lot of issues the least of which is, you know, looking in the wrong places for heroes. And that's what we're seeing manifested in our children in this, in not only this youngest generation, but even our generation too. Is, oh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not just, I'm not just blaming this on Zoomers. Um, it's, it's millennials as well. So it's really sad to see, but, you know, I waited 34 <laughs> years to find someone. I dated bad boys and jerks my entire life. I found, finally found a wonderful Christian conservative guy. And buddy, I put a ring on it. Yeah. <laughs> Ten, technically he did, but you know, he did, we, but we, we did. You, you helped him along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I was badgering him about putting a ring on it, you know, on, on your iPhone, you can create shared photo albums. So I would just like drop pictures into the shared photo album with him. So he would get like all these alerts. <laughs> yeah. And he pictures to an album. <laughs> Wait, wait, like pictures of rings or? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh wow. yeah, I wasn't subtle. I wasn't subtle at all. That is awesome. That is really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I don't think he thought it was, but it, but it definitely <laughs> offered him some direction. So well, I, you know. I, I beg to differ because he, he followed your lead. So that's true. <laughs> or your that's hint true. rather. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that's really awesome. I also have to uh, comment on, you, you called them Zoomers. Generation yeah. Z, that is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I have never yeah. heard that term before, but it, it's very fitting now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have I, I have some Zoomers who work for my website who handle some of the tech stuff, mm -hmm. uh, and I call them Zoomers all the time, and they take great exception to it, but I obviously mean it in the most endearing way. <laughs> well, but I'm I like, you Zoomers need to get your together. Get get it together. <laughs> Uh, generation z from what i've seen i i like a lot of what i'm seeing out of the generation z uh, yeah you know they they um politically speaking they yeah. are more libertarian which yeah. i am super on board with i when yeah. it comes to social issues i am like i am very strong libertarian i don't care what you sniff snort smoke or poke none of that is my business just don't come to my church and demand that my pastor marry you and we're good I'm right. very libertarian and this youngest generation zoomers are definitely more libertarian, but they are also more pro-life. So yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I totally agree. My, uh, yeah. the one of them, I guess is technically a Gen Z. The other one I think is considered millennial. I, I feel like these, uh, generation, I know they're so blurred. Yeah, yeah. they are. Um, <laughs> the other day I saw some meme and it put me in as a millennial and I was like, I, I don't think that's accurate, but they, they do, yeah. they do blur the, yeah. 
so but i always my sister is actually a millennial we always joke about this because she's six years younger than me so we're actually different generations right yeah 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 Yeah. so so um what do you think that we can be do about this this cultural degeneration and yeah the demise Um, of the family yeah uh, from a political perspective, um, I always, I, I get on my soapbox about this all the time. Yeah. Uh, I know that people who want to be politically active want to go for those really sexy, high profile positions. They want to they wanna go straight to Senate. They want to go straight to Congress. Um, but start small. Um, you know, if, if people paid more attention to state and local government, mm-hmm. the federal election every four years wouldn't matter. Yeah, all politics is local. Yep. And, uh, you know, our our founding fathers, in their infinite wisdom, placed so much responsibility and power within the state and local governments. The federal government wanted the, the founding fathers wanted the federal government to mint money, assemble a military, and protect sovereignty. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Everything else, especially social issues, fell to the states and the local governments because our founding fathers wanted our states to be laboratories of democracy. If you legalize shrooms in Colorado and it works out well for them, you know, they tax the crap out of it and it does well for their economy and it doesn't provide, you know, a health risk or anything like that. Great. And then other states might follow, but, um, you know, this, this, our federal government has become so incredibly bloated and they have so much power over every aspect of our lives that every four years, it is like a panic moment for people because that that is like do or die for a lot of people. And look, this was a very, very pivotal election, but I, I just always encourage people to, you know, run for city council, school board, anything, state, uh, state senate, state house of representatives, all of those smaller positions, because you can do much more to change at the local level. Um, so, so that's politically speaking, societally speaking, um, I think that, I can't remember the author, it might have been Jordan Peterson, or it might have been a Marine whose book I read, I don't know, but it's all kind of the same idea. Um, if you don't make up your bed every morning, then you can't fix the world's problems. Um, societally, I think that Jordan we Peterson's have people- first rule for life is to make your bed. So maybe, Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay. I, the, what I just said might actually be an amalgamation of Jordan Peterson and that other book that I read, but I'm, okay. it works. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we obviously here in LA, we have celebrities who are giving, you know, the, the typical pageant answer, world peace. We want world peace. We want, you know, climate change eradicated. And it's like, okay, I get that. Like that's that in an ideal world that absolutely would be present. However, um, you're divorced from the guy who is the father of two of your children, but not the other three. Um, you don't have a job and your ex-husband who is the father of two of your kids is an alcoholic and is in their lives. So, um, maybe fix what's close to home first. Um, so societally speaking, I think that, you know, being a good citizen and it sounds so dumb, but, but being a good citizen to me entails a lot of things. Um, it is, and, and it's not just being a good citizen like paying your taxes. It's being a contributory member of society, raising a strong family, 
raising children who grow up to, to be strivers and dreamers and motivated individuals. Um, it's, you know, I, I don't know what to say beyond that, but I think societally it, it starts at home and we all have to, um, you know, we all have to, to look over our own issues and, and handle our own stuff. And if everybody did that, then the, the overarching problems would probably, you know, they probably wouldn't go away, but they would be much lesser and, and they would be more manageable. Sure. So no, I, sorry, that was a long answer. No, that, and it was a very good one. It's very well said. So you said you were, even growing up, you were very politically outspoken. Indeed, yes. Um, Did you always have the same views or have you gone on a journey politically or? um, I've been on the same path, but I did take a few side streets and then eventually merged back onto the freeway. Um, (laughs) I've always been on the conservative highway of life. I grew up in the Bible Belt in Alabama. Uh, parents are, um, oh my goodness, they'll be married. What's today? The 18th in less than two months, it will be 50 years of marriage for my parents. Wow. Um, happy anniversary. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Christian conservative parents and, uh, you know, I was a George W voter. That was my, my first vote when he was reelected. Um, I've always been on the conservative route, but in college, I, I went through a phase where I didn't necessarily change my beliefs, but and, and I didn't really question them. I just wanted to, to really kind of substantiate um, and back up what I thought I felt and believed and just kind of provide a little bit more of a foundation to those things so that I knew why I believed what I, what I had believed all along. So I read a lot of books on apologetics. Um, I read a, a lot of books on politics and I arrived at the same place I started, which is conservative um, fiscally, but, but very libertarian socially, but you know, conservative overall. And I ended up back at that same place. And when I moved out to LA, I'm, I don't know if my parents would admit this, but I think that they, they were a little worried that I was going to turn into a uh, a raging lefty. And I think that there is always a propensity for that. But I think that it also depends on how you've raised your children, if you've raised them with a pretty, you know, stiff spine. Uh, LA actually did the opposite. It, it made me even more conservative than I was before. Yeah. And I don't know why that is, you know, maybe that's because you're around a bunch of leftists and you and you, you hear them and you witness them try to explain how they feel and none of it actually makes sense. So you're just like, okay, whatever. Um, and then, you know, you have your own arguments and your own beliefs and, and you know, living in the city has definitely, um, it's definitely moved me further to the right. And my poor husband works in the Hollywood industry and, uh, you know, we, we, go, we go to some of his, his rap parties and his events and stuff. And I think a lot of those people think that I'm like a Russian spy or something because <laughs> they ask me what I do for a living. And I just say, I can't talk about what I do in civilian circles. And uh, I do that for two reasons. Number one, to remind them that they are just civilians. They're not anybody special. And number two, to evade uh, identifying what I actually do for a living. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> you can't talk about it in civilian circles. Yeah. Awesome. What, what, so it's what is just like a fun? subtle dig. 
Yeah, no, totally. What What are the reactions you get to that? Uh, usually it's just like, oh, oh, okay, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've thought about, I've thought about changing my story to something that's not so um, conversation worthy because there is a little bit of a concern that they'll go to someone else and be like, what do you think Amanda does? I thought about just, just going with something much more neutral and arcane. Like, you know, I, I work in retail or whatever, um, just so there aren't further questions and inquiry, right. but it's so much more fun for them to think that I'm a spy. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and frankly, you know, when it comes to enemies of the state, Russian spy and conservative pundit, we're kind of on the same level. So I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. You yeah. got a good point there. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. When I, I will say LA did the same thing for me. I definitely became more conservative being in LA. Yeah. I'm not really sure. And being in the industry as well, actually, I'm not really sure what that was. I think it's just the constant questioning, you know, because the mm -hmm. more questions, you know, people ask me and the more questions I asked of myself, the further uh, entrenched in my beliefs I actually became. It didn't pull me out of it. Yeah. It made me more... Uh, confirmed in what I do believe. Yeah. Yeah. There's a quote. Um, this is a really lame person to accredit it to, but uh, I think it was Diane von Furstenberg said some quote about um, love is something comparing love to a flame. And if the flame is really weak, you can easily blow it out. But if the flame is strong, oxygen only makes it larger. Mm -hmm. maybe that's kind of how it is for us in our conservative beliefs. We already had a strong foundation. So all right. of that um, all that opposition, that oxygen blown in our way made it, made it even stronger. Yeah, totally possible. Well, speaking of very strong foundation, I think that this country has a very strong foundation, but it is really uh, cracking at the moment. What do yeah. you think some of the biggest threats we're up against are? I think illegal immigration is probably our number one threat um, sovereignty-wise. Um, I think that for, for Democrats, they see that as a, a cash cow, but not in the sense of money. They see it as, um, well, no kind of a cash cow when you have the votes. Um, they see that as, as the new up and coming voter block for them, because there are a lot of black Americans who are waking up and Donald Trump is, is absolutely responsible for bringing hundreds of thousands of black Americans to the Republican side. Um, and it's because he, he was just real. He was real with people and he actually fought for policies that in, in raising the tide, it rose all ships as well. And so many people woke up to that. Um, but, but for Democrats, when they start to see that voter block slip away, then they have to, they have to you know, refill that with something else. And I think that, that illegal immigration is going to be that. I, I think they think that is going to be what is that, what that is for them. Unfortunately for them, as far as legal immigrants, especially legal immigrants along the border, I mean, those are the folks who are going to suffer the most. Um, you have a lot of Mexican Americans who live, you know, in the El Paso sector and, um, you know, the border of Arizona and New Mexico and California. And those are the people who suffer because they are in those border towns um, experiencing, you know, the the violence and and the you know the economic downturn for their own communities and it's really unfortunate to see so i think what you're going to see is you're going to see a strengthening among legal immigrants 
uh, with respect to their support of Republicans. And then obviously the illegal immigrants, uh, because they're being promised things by Democrats. That's, you know, it's the bigotry of low expectations. Um, and it's that that enslavement that we've we've all talked about all along when it comes to Democrats. It's getting people, um, you know, hooked on the, the teat of government. And um, so, you know, immigration is definitely the biggest concern for me as far as, you know, sovereignty. But, but as far as American values, I mean, Saul Alinsky talked about the three areas where progressives and, and liberals had to take over. And it was uh, Hollywood, media, and academia. And Democrats have done that. They have absolutely taken all three of those. They have hijacked the messaging uh, in our public schools. And, you know, the way to fix that is to homeschool. And my husband and I, we've talked about for years about how if we are still in California, if we are not in a red state, in a red area, in a good school district, then I will be homeschooling my children, which is a very tall order for me. And let me just illustrate for you how tall of an order it is. When I was at Auburn, I was a music major. And um, the, the middle of my, no, the end of my third year, I decided to change my major to business because there was one credit left for the music major. And it was, um, it was a class where I had to go into a high school and I had to teach music. I literally changed my major and left Auburn without a double degree in music because I did not want to teach. That is how much the, the prospect of teaching terrifies me and ticks me off because I have no patience when it comes to people who don't care about the things that I care about. And, and at the time music was very important to me. So trying to rattle high schoolers into caring about music the way that I did seemed like just the most miserable thing ever. So homeschooling kids is definitely going to be something that um, I think, I think God might place that in my life to teach me a few lessons. Um, but I think that the way to to wrestle back that narrative from the school system is to homeschool our kids. I mean, honest to God, one of the biggest mistakes that we made as a country is putting government in charge of education. Um, the most idiotic, destructive thing we could have done. I, I, I don't know who of our grandparents, our great grandparents or our great great grandparents thought that was a good idea, but shame on them because it has utterly destroyed generation after generation after generation. Um, the other big issues... I think that we're in a really, I, I think that we are in a fight right now. Um, and of course it's, it's good versus evil. Um, it's left versus right. But what it also is, is America first MAGA Republicans versus the establishment. Yeah. Um, it, if, if Donald Trump did anything in his presidency, it was to reveal those people in Washington. The people who, Republicans, who have served for decades, who we have all just voted for because they had an R next to their name and it was the lesser of two evils. Yep. And we got by a lot of Republicans. Kevin McCarthy's one of them here in California. I am absolutely ready to get him out of there. Um, I'm not in his district, so I can't vote against him, but you better believe that I'm texting all my friends there and telling them to vote him out. Um, but Donald Trump, you know, he wasn't able to drain the swamp, but he was able to lower the water level just enough to reveal the critters in the swamp. So that's really interesting you say it that way, because I've been thinking a lot about that. And I'm like, actually, when you drain a swamp, 
you drain the water and the creatures rise yeah. up, right? So yeah, he kind of yeah. did, but people keep thinking it means drain the creatures. No, he revealed yeah. the creatures. Yeah. 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 So um so I think that that's going to be the battle for our generation. It is finding a way to remove the uniparty Republicans, the people who, you know, the, the people who literally ran on repeal and replace and then voted against it. John McCain or John McCain, where you are. Um, Republicans have to start actually, I, I just wrote an essay about, <clears throat> about the Republican party. And I compared it to the DeLorean from the Back to the Future movies, because a lot of people don't know the DeLorean uh, was produced by a company that was their only model. Um, and the DeLorean, even though it looked super sexy on the outside, uh, they, they, they went, the, the company ultimately went bankrupt because the engine was crap. Um, and they couldn't, they, they knew that they needed to replace the engine and they were trying to put out another model but they already had cars on the road. They already had cars in production. And it was basically trying to revamp, revamp the company without the wheels falling off. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I made this comparison about the Republican Party. I said, you know, the Republican Party, they've had their sticker price for a long time. And you list all the specs on the car window. Fisc you know, fiscally conservative, standing up for Christians, standing up for babies in the womb. All of these things that they've list, listed on that MSRP ticket, that, that sticker on the, on the car, and they don't stand for a single one of those things anymore. And, you know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but I'm, it, better that we found out than to keep them in there forever and keep our country going in the wrong direction. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about, you know, the, so you're, you're talking about kind of like cleaning out the, the people who claim to represent us, but don't, you know, the establishment, you know, the deep, yeah, whatever the, you want to call it. Yeah. So if we, you know, how do you feel about the integrity of our elections currently and our ability oh. to drain, you know, to clean out these, these swamp creatures? <laughs> oh, um, I don't know. It, if I can say this on your podcast, I don't want you to get taken down, but I am 100% positive that Donald Trump won the election. Um, there are pages and pages and pages. I'm sitting here looking at a stack of papers on a desk over there mm -hmm. of numbers, of graphs from every single state of, of illegal immigrants who voted, underage people who voted, people who voted in more than one state, people who voted from PO boxes, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of fraudulent votes. Um, so as far as election integrity, integrity, yeah, I'm really, really freaking worried. However, uh, this goes back to the state level thing. Yeah. Um, the state legislatures can fix this. And you've already, you saw, you know, the news report what was it, yesterday about a Michigan judge, the ruling in favor of the Trump campaign, basically proving Trump right. Mm -hmm. uh, and now they're going to unseal ballots in Fulton County uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, um, you've got in the state of Arizona, they're subpoenaing ballots, you know, trying to recover ballots. I mean, I, I, I think that the 2020 election for future students who, who study law or political science, this is going to be a case study for them. Um, but it starts at the state level and the local level for, you know, these swing states that ultimately ended up swinging it for Biden. Um, they had Republican legislatures, but they had spineless Republicans in there. And these are Republicans who could have said, 
no, we will not certify this vote because we do not know for sure. We're not saying the election is stolen, but we don't know for sure. So we are not going to certify this yet. So it starts with people in states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, all Nevada. It starts with those people putting the right people in office who are going to pass legislation. Georgia just passed something through their House of Representatives. I think it's on its way to the Senate, mm-hmm. an election reform bill that's going to basically wipe away the stuff that destroyed the election integrity this time around. So every state, every single swing state is going to have to do that. And, and then maybe there's hope. And I think that honestly, for those who are hoping that Donald Trump is going to run again in 2024, I think that's what he's waiting on because he'd be an idiot to run again if they don't fix the election process. If they do, I think we might have, uh, you know, I, I've been traveling around, you know, I traveled with the Trump campaign covering the rallies for the network. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I would be really excited to do that again in three more years, <laughs> but we have to fix our election. We just have to. What, what do you think is going to happen if we don't? So I, I think so. Like we keep, people keep talking about 2024 and that that's great. But I think 2022 is much more pressing. And I don't think there is a 2024 if we don't get a handle on, you know, this next year and a half. So, yeah, no, I mean, the, the first step in the process is fixing the elections fix and and I don't mean fixing the election. Like, you know, <laughs> with, with, Trump, <laughs> with Trump's phone call, and he said, find the votes. I don't mean fix the election. Right, right. I mean, actually clarify. Fix, fix, fix the process. broken things. Yeah. Yes. Um, that's got to happen first. And then obviously in 2022, I, I think if, if we do that, I think that we have a slam dunk chance of taking back the House and the Senate. Um, because I think that, you know, I, my hope for Joe Biden's presidency is that he does just enough superficial stuff mm-hmm. that ticks off people yeah but not enough to destroy our country yeah. um and and you know nowadays everything's reversible basically when you go from republican to democrat in the oval office it's like i'm going to start this policy i'm going to undo this policy i'm going to start <laughs> this policy i'm going to undo this policy and it's like you know executive orders unfortunately have become a way of life although donald trump signed a record low number of executive yeah. orders because he actually believed in the uh, congressional process but um, yeah, I mean, we, if we don't fix these things and it starts with the state legislatures, it starts with those Republican majorities, especially in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Georgia, those are the fourth and Arizona, five states, um, those Republicans are going to have to stand up to the mob. They're going to get called racist. They're going to say, you know, they're, they're going to get accused of disenfranchising voters, uh, for demanding voter ID. Um, they're going to probably get called murderers because Democrats are going to claim that two years from now, COVID's still around. So we got to mail out ballots. They're going to get called every name in the book, but courage is contagious. And if these folks stick together and they do what they know is right, and they listen to their constituents, the people who voted them in office, then I think that we will get election reform passed in these states. We will win back the House and the Senate in 2022. And then whoever the Republican candidate is, whether it's Trump, whether it's DeSantis, whether it's Christy Nome, whoever it is, mm-hmm. that will be a good election for us. Yeah. All right. I like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm so I'm really curious. Do you talk to people on the left? I, you know, I know most of them think you're a Russian spy, uh, but you yeah. do live in LA <laughs> yeah. in the music industry. Um, so do, do you run in circles where you're in these kind of conversations? And I imagine either, like, how do you handle that? Are, do, do they all not know what you do or do some of them know? And are you outspoken about it? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the liberals in my life who know what I do, um, maybe they're scared of me, but like whenever <laughs> we have political conversations, they're like, oh yeah, I totally agree with that. And I'm like, do you, or are you just trying to knock it in the verbal bashing with me? Um, but my my best friend in in the world, he's been my best friend basically since I moved to LA, is a black liberal. Um, but he he's he's very reasonable, he's very practical, he's very thoughtful. Um, and I think I've had an impact on him. Um, he so I, I put out a video, I put out these daily videos on my website called the Hollywood Minute. And this was the video like three or four weeks ago. It was, it was very shortly after Gavin Newsom said that he was going to start gradually reopening California. And so I put together a video and I basically laid out the timeline of closures in California with respect to the numbers of new cases. And one of the points that I brought up was that in November, when Gavin Newsom shut down California again, um, LA County, at least LA County, this wasn't statewide, but LA County is kind of a microcosm. So um, LA County had fewer cases, like 2000 fewer new cases than last month when he decided to reopen. Yeah. Now, last month when he decided to reopen, is when I think he really started getting concerned um, over the recall effort. So I, I put out this video and I also used California's numbers and, and created a, a dichotomy between California's numbers and Florida's numbers. And we've all seen them um, you know, with respect to the fact that California and Florida have pretty much the same case numbers per 100,000 people, despite the fact that Florida closed much later uh, much looser and opened much earlier than California. So um, I laid out this in a video and he, he's wonderful. He watches every video that I put out every day Aww. and he texted me and I just saw like the preview of the text. And he said, Hey, I watched your video and, and I couldn't see the rest of the text. And I was actually on air and I saw, Hey, I saw your video and, and I'm like, Oh God. <laughs> and, uh, I, I shouldn't roll my eyes. I mean, it, it's wonderful to have these conversations, but I clicked on the text and he said, uh, I watched your video and I think you're right. And it makes me sick to my stomach. And I was like, oh, <laughs> wow. I know. And I'm like, finally. Um, so, yeah. And, and, you know, we have other liberals in our, our lives. Um, sure. One of my husband's friends is a liberal and things are a little bit more contentious with him. He's one of those who, one of those liberals who doesn't like to agree to disagree. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that, I think that the internet, it's, it's always the internet's fault. Um, <laughs> the internet has been uh, a huge contributor to the demise of civility in this country. And it's because, you know, if I'm sitting face to face with someone, I mean, I, I debate liberals all the time, literally every week on TV. Yeah. Um, one of whom is a guy who is um, a guy named Robert Patillo, who is a civil rights attorney in Atlanta. He's a black liberal civil rights attorney. Like we could not be further apart on the spectrum politically, racially philosophically, ideologically, like right. we couldn't be further apart, but we get on TV together 
and we actually have constructive civil conversations. But if he was some random Joe who I didn't know, who I didn't have a history of going on air with and debating, and he was just some idiot liberal tweeting at me, um, you know, there, when you remove that humanity, when you don't see someone's face, when you're not in person with them, when you don't hear their voice, you know, it, it feels like it's not even a real person. It almost feels like you're arguing with like, you know, a, a bot or something. And so people are a lot meaner. I am, by the way. I mean, you go through my my tweet replies, and I've sent some some real nasty ones. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> proud of that. I'm not proud of that. But the problem is, is I wake up in the morning, and for whatever whatever it is, I always wake up very combative. So I try to stay off Twitter for two hours when I wake up because yeah. I just like da, 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 da. yeah, I get so angry. Um, <laughs> but you know that that is an aspect of it when it, when you're talking to liberals is try to have the conversations either you know. It, texting at the very least but on the phone or in person is the best way to do it and honestly it's gotten to the point where um sometimes I, I just don't engage uh, a girl who used to cut my hair who I don't really talk to that much anymore but she, when the two years after Trump was elected like every week she would send me some article from like like Vox or Daily Cause or like mother what is it mother jones like uber uber left left site and she would send me an article and be like huh looks like the orange man has screwed us all and i'm like okay andrea so i i quit responding and she finally got the picture and now she doesn't text me about anything which is actually pretty okay with me um but you know there there is space to find common ground i used to say that we all want the same thing but i don't think that's true anymore um, so you have to find other things that you, that you want the same, mm -hmm. uh, which is, which is sometimes hard to find. Um, but it, it is important to have those conversations face to face, or at least over the phone, because otherwise, if you're just, if you're just battling liberals on Twitter, that's, that's just not ever a good thing. And, and look at what happened with, you know, people like Kim Kardashian and Isaiah Washington and, you know, liberals who, who came to the White House to meet with President Trump. Look at what Kim Kardashian was able to do. I never had an ounce of respect for that chick when she was basically just like a Ray J's porn girl. Um, but she, you know, ag against all the advice of the people around her, she went to the White House and talked to Donald Trump about Alice Johnson. And what happened? He commuted her sentence. He listened to Kim Kardashian. He listened to her story. Um, and they found common ground on something. And if you're not willing to to listen to what you perceive to be a bad idea, how are how are the good ideas ever going to rise to the top? Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Do you think that as a country we're more divided than we have in the past, or do you think it just feels that way right now? Or yeah, yeah, uh, you I, said, I would like. To say I, I, the reason I'm asking, you said you know I, you used to think we wanted the same thing, but you don't really think that's true anymore. I, and I'm, right, kind yeah. of, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I'm wondering if you what, what you think the change is and if there is more of a divide. Yeah, um, you know, ideologically speaking, I, I don't think we want the same things anymore. I don't think that most liberals value, um, you know, what's the quote? America is great because she is good. Uh, America is good at its core. Uh, from its founding, America is good. Uh, America is benevolent. America is generous. Um, and I don't think that liberals care about the goodness of America anymore. I don't think that they, 
I think when they think of the founding of our country, because the left has so has been so effective in indoctrinating them and teaching them, you know, the freaking 1619 project and all of this bull, you know what, um, that America is at its core a racist country, that America at its core is an evil country, um, that America at its core is an unjust country. And I think that because you have people who want to dramatically and transformationally change what America is, who America is, and what America stands for. Because of that, I think that we are more divided than we have ever been. I would like to say that it just feels that way, but I think that it not only does it feel that way, but there, there's, there are these underpinnings of, um, of divide that I don't think can be healed with just kumbaya moments. Um, yeah. Sorry, I hate to be the doomsday person, but yeah. No, no, I, I, I happen to agree. And I, I struggle with it a lot, though, because we should be one nation, right? Like, I, yep. it should be Americans want what's good for America. And so if that's really to happen, there needs to be some sort of healing and not unity in the, you know, phony kind of a sense. But there really does need to be some yep. sort of a common ground. And you would think that common ground would be wanting the best for America. But if one group, you know, has been taught that America is inherently bad and evil, yeah. that's pretty insurmountable. Yeah, I think, I think the way that you overcome that is, um, you know, I, I think if Trump had served a second term, I think that even more people would have come over to our side and even more people would have learned uh, the value of, a free market and even more people would have learned the value of knowing history and not revised history that even more people who would would become contributing members of the workforce and not wanting to live exist in a welfare state the even more people who would be who who would realize that that immigration is something that we have to tackle and have have to have record of and have under control but the flip side to that is is now that joe biden is in office now that we have a legitimate crisis at our border with border facilities at 700% capacity with up to 50% of the illegal immigrants being you know, tested positive for COVID. I think that, and that's what I was saying earlier, I hope he does just enough to show yeah. people how ridiculous progressive yeah. policies are without it actually fundamentally changing and destroying America. Because I think that's the way that we ultimately come together because I have a lot of liberal friends who um, didn't vote for Trump in 2016. And because I live in LA and LA is such a melting pot, only one of these people who I have in my head right now is white. The rest of them are black and Hispanic. And they are people who very proudly voted for Barack Obama twice. Um, and a few of them voted for Hillary Clinton as well. But they came over to Trump's side because they saw that his policies worked. And so I think what, what we hopefully will find in the next four years is a unifying of America around the notion that progressive policies suck. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. I will, I will sit around a campfire, roast marshmallows, drink scotch, and kumbaya over that point. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I did a, a rant on my Instagram story today about, so there seems to be this trend and let me know your thoughts on it. It really bothered me. There's this trend, and I'm seeing it mostly from the right, actually, where 
there you see it a lot on Twitter, <laughs> which is probably not the best place to be having this conversation. But it's they're saying how it's you know smart people versus stupid people, and it's you know high IQ versus low IQ. And I really took issue to this because you know I typically think that the left is ninety nine point nine percent of the time wrong. I mean that's that's my opinion. Yeah, there's yeah. always that point one percent chance, you know. Yeah. Oh, even a broken clock is right twice a day, you know? So that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, but I don't necessarily think that they're all stupid or all at low IQ. There are some brilliant people on the left. I don't necessarily yeah. think they're right or agree with them, but that's not a higher low IQ issue. And my issue with it is that one, it's factually, I don't think it's accurate. So I have a problem with that. You know, my website's truth yeah. matters. I think facts are important. Um, so I don't yeah. think it's factually accurate, but two, I don't think it's a smart game to play, ironically. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it's essentially name calling and I, it's not, so this goes to your point, um, but it's name calling and I don't think it's productive because the conversation should be about good ideas, good culture, good philosophy, good morals things that benefit the most people and particularly yeah. the most vulnerable. And that is not an issue of IQ. People of all ranges of IQ can support those things or not support those yeah. things. And I, yeah. so I feel like you're, you're playing a game where over something that people have absolutely no control over. It's like telling somebody they're short to grow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I think Look, I grew up in Alabama. I grew up in a state where you had a binary choice between Auburn and Alabama, tigers mm -hmm. or crimson tide. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a state where it was one side versus the other side. Yeah. And my parents always taught me, look, Bama has their bad fans. Auburn has their bad fans. Every team has their own bad fans. Right. Um, you got, you've got double digiters on both sides. Yeah. Double digiters are what I call people who haven't quite reached that triple digit. I, I, I've heard you say that. That's hilarious. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think for, for people on the left who by present day standards are intelligent people, uh, first of all, I don't, even though I did go to college and graduate, I don't think that uh, college is neither for everybody, nor is it an indicator of intelligence. I, I agree. Um, yeah. Especially nowadays with, with, you know, higher education being basically an indoctrination into progressivism. I mean, I, <laughs> I feel like the world has really, really downplayed the importance of welders and plumbers and people like that. So uh, I'm pretty much going to forbid my kids from going to college unless it's like Heritage or Auburn. Um, but I think that it's it's not Hillsdale, an issue maybe. of yeah yeah Hillsdale. <laughs> um, I don't. I think for for people who are by today's standards intelligent folks, people who have you know master's degrees and PhDs, the people who we hold up in society as these are brilliant people. I think that they get some consumed in the pathos and not the logos. Mm -hmm. um, I think that for a lot of liberals, it's all about um, the, the end result. You know, we want equality across America when it comes to schools, but they don't understand that in order to have, you know, good access to education, then there has to be school choice because yeah. the government has done a really crappy job with public schools. And for instance, in you know, certain wards within New Orleans, you have, and, and, and oh gosh, we just had a guest on the show who was talking about Baltimore. There are 12 
high schools in Baltimore where 0% of the students are scoring on grade level in math. 12 high schools where 0% zero? of their students, zero. Wow. How can you not believe in charter schools and school vouchers at that point? Like to right. me, so, so this is what I'm saying. It's all about the pathos. It's all about, okay, well, this is where we need to be. And ideally, you know, ideally as a society, this is where we should go, but they go about it the completely wrong way. And they, they don't, they don't engage in the logos of, of the fix as much as they do the pathos. And, you know, when it comes to good ideas and bad ideas, I, I always make this, excuse me, I make this comparison. When my husband and I moved into our townhouse, um, there was black mold under our kitchen sink. And we, oh my God, it was a nightmare. Like we were literally newlyweds. It was like right when coronavirus started. So you had two humans who had never lived together crammed into a townhouse in Burbank. And now we can't even use our kitchen because the sink is on the same wall as the dishwasher. So they had to pull all the ply, all the like, um, uh, I'm not a construction worker. Anyway, all that like foundation, wood, crap, whatever out because it's not one of those things that you can just like spray it. Like black right. mold is very toxic. Yeah. So we were, we're literally trucking our dirty dishes up to my second floor bathtub, washing our dishes in our oh, bathtub. Oh my I had, gosh. I had beach towels out on the landing, drying stuff. Like it's a freaking redneck garage sale. So that was like the first three months of our marriage. But all of this to say that the black mold, we had to, we had to expose it to oxygen and we had to pull it out of the wall. Um, that black mold is very similar to bad ideas. You can't just slap paint over the black mold and assume it's going to go away. You yeah. have to expose it to ridicule. Um, and the only way that we can allow those good ideas to rise to the top is, is if we expose them, expose good ideas and bad ideas. Yeah. And this is, this goes back to the whole argument about free speech. Yep. Your, my, my freedom of speech is not per, to protect you from the nice things that I say. It is to, to preserve my right to say whatever I want, even if you don't like it, especially if you don't like it. Yep, exactly, exactly. So. Yeah, and the, the good ideas can't, you can't see what the good ideas are. I mean, right, like you see light yeah. against dark. That's where yeah. you see it, you know? But that's that's why the left, I think, is, is so interested in squashing other ideas these days, though, is because yeah. they don't want competition for their ideas because they know that that what their ideas, bad as they are, they know that what their ideas achieve is what gives them more power. Yeah. So no. anything, anything that threatens that has, has to be done away with. And that's why, that's why cancel culture is what it is now. Yeah. Cancel culture is not new though, but it has definitely, it has gotten much worse. Now, yeah. I, I think a lot of that has to do with technology. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually a big fan of boycotting. Um, I keep a going note in my phone of, of businesses that I boycott. I haven't, I haven't had coffee from Starbucks since they said that if you support the traditional family, then they don't want you buying their coffee. And I was like, cool, done. Um, <laughs> I have not shopped. I haven't shopped at Target in a long time. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty serious about my boycott. But here's the difference between boycotting and cancel culture, because I do speak out in support of boycotting and against cancel culture. And I, I know that I know that there's kind of a blurry line between the two. Um, but for me, what what boycotting is about to me 
is the fact that our wallet is the strongest, most vocal demonstrative tool we have when it comes to sending a message to a business. Um, it is one of the most effective ways for a business to hear the voices of the people who used to be their patrons. Unlike cancel culture, it's not punitive. Cancel culture to me is when you, it, it is 100% punitive, even if it's undeserved. Um, you are trying to destroy that person's livelihood. You're trying to destroy their family members. You're trying to destroy their ability to make money. Um, you're trying to destroy their ability to go to a restaurant and not get shouted out like Sarah Sanders. Um, it, it is a punitive, um, mean, 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 mean-spirited thing. Um, whereas to me, boycotting is really just trying to use your wallet to send a message to a business. Yeah, I, I love that distinction because I've heard a lot of people make that argument. You know, they say that, well, you're against cancel culture, but you're canceling. But I think there's also yeah. another really big difference is the um, the effect, the outcome. So boycotting, it's one person. You're, you have, you know, you, you have the jurisdiction over how you spend your money and what you mm-hmm. choose to yeah. support, not support. Whereas canceling is where a, usually it's the, uh, you know, the giant that's canceling the little, the little guy. Yeah. So it's a very- Yeah, and I think thing. another- I think another distinction too is it's the individual versus the masses. Yeah. Um, with cancel culture, there is an effort to, you know, if, if what's her name, the writer of the Harry Potter series says something, then they try to get an entire community to cancel her. What's yep. her name? Rowling? Was it? No. Yeah. 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 You know, they try to get an entire voter block, millennial, well, not, I guess, Gen Zers but Hollywood, the LGBT community, they tried to get an entire community to cancel her. Yep. Boycotting to me is about, you know what? You can go buy Starbucks if you want to. I don't care. But for me and my household and for what I feel, I'm just not going to do it. Right. Yeah. So it's the individual versus the masses. Yeah. Which I think is a, a, a very symbolic representation of the battle that we're up against in this country. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. The individual versus the masses. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. sad time. And everybody's like, oh, Amanda, like you, you know, you always rail on people about running for office and getting involved. You should run for office. And I'm like, um, I curse too much to ever run for office. Like you've done a really good job. You haven't cursed once yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get fired up about politics and it's, it's one of those things that I have to, uh, I have to watch myself, but I grew up with two older brothers and I grew up around men. I grew up hunting with my dad and it's just kind of a part of my vernacular, but I am trying to be more ladylike. My husband wants me to be more ladylike and I'm, you know, <laughs> it's not because he's sexist and he's like, you know, what is it? Toxic masculine masculinity. It's not that it's just, you know, um, but yeah, I, I don't think there is a, an elected office in my future, but I'm definitely going to try to recruit as many people as I can to. Yeah. So the, I, you made a really good point about, uh, you know, running for the less sexy positions, you know, really staying local and making a difference locally. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important point because I think people, it's not just an important point for the people who are thinking about running, but I think it's also an important point for people who are trying to support people. Because I think that 
people rush to to look at somebody and they're like, oh, they should run for president. And yeah, some people, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> like Candace Owens. Yep. Like she, she's actually exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like her. Yeah. And when it comes to race issues, she speaks very well on it. Yes. But I've seen some interviews where you try to get her out of that race conversation bubble and it's not seamless. So um yeah, and I've seen actually a lot of Twitter comments when people are like, should Candace Owens run for president? And people are like, dude, when did this become a thing where like all of a sudden you just decide to run for president? Like I get it that Donald <laughs> Trump did it, but that shouldn't be the norm. Like that should be the exception to the rule. Well, and Donald not Trump also role. did it. I mean, he's 74 years old. You know, he wasn't like, you know, yeah, he has a life first foray into in a, a yeah. field, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and while I think that there are people like Candace Owens who can absolutely be um, groomed, for lack of better terms, yeah. into politics, uh, I, I would just prefer someone who has either a little more life experience or a little more political experience. Yeah. Well, and I think it's another important point to recognize is the work she's doing in the culture. And that's yeah. not to, you know, devalue that because yeah. we need people in different parts of, you know, there there's, we need work in politics. We do need work in the culture. We need people in the media. You know, this yeah. is a multi-layered front that needs to be tackled. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, you know, Candace Owens has a large following, um, but you, but you look at like the demographics of her following and it's typically like the TPUSA crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, which there's nothing wrong with that at Turning Point USA. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, however, to reach, to really, really reach the Black community, we've got to have more people like Angela Stanton King. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know her, but she's Alveda King's goddaughter. Alveda King was MLK's niece, is, is MLK's niece. Um, and Angela Stanton King, just to kind of summarize her life story, mm -hmm. she uh, led, led a life of crime. She went to prison. She had her daughter in prison shackled to a bed. Uh, she got out of prison and was offered, you know, multiple different types of opportunities for welfare. And she got on it for a very short period of time and was like, do I really want this to be my life? Like for the rest of my life. And she decided to remove herself from social programs and to basically pull herself up by her bootstraps. Now she's hood and she will admit it, like she is hood, but she appeals, I think, to the black community more than someone who is, you know, polished like yeah. Candace Owens. Um, Angela is, is very real. Um, she, she doesn't mince words and, and, and look, I've seen her tweets and I've seen her Instagram posts and there, there are some things that she and I differ on. Uh, I think that there are some times when she's a little too um, abrasive about some things, but I think that, and, and, and by the way, this is illustrated very, very clearly. She went on the breakfast club with Charlemagne the God mm -hmm. and it was her, it was Angela up against Charlemagne the God and his two little talking head co-hosts. Mm -hmm. um, one was a chick and one was another guy. Maybe, and maybe there was a, maybe there was a second girl. Anyway, Angela like spanked every one of them it was 
glorious. Like she went in there armed with facts, with numbers, with history, with statistics. I mean, she knows her stuff. So she goes in, she does, she does the breakfast club with Charlemagne, the God. I, I would encourage your listeners and your viewers to go look up the interview on YouTube. Just, just Google Charlemagne, the God, Angela Stanton King. Um, you look at the comments and it's, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of comments from people who were like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. Oh my gosh, I think she's right. Oh my gosh, Angela just slayed you guys. Oh my gosh, who is this woman and how can I follow her? Oh my gosh, I think I agree with her. I mean, it was incredible. So we have to have, I wish I could clone Angela Stanton King and just like disseminate her all across America to help spread the message. She's, she's great. Wow. Well, yeah, everybody should definitely go check out that video. Say, what was it again? So the show is The Breakfast Club with Charlemagne the God, but her name is Angela Stanton King. Okay. So just YouTube that. I I haven't seen it. I'm going to go watch it. That sounds. Oh my gosh. It's so good. It's, it's like, I mean, it's it's a pretty long video. I think it's like, I don't know, 45 minutes or something. It's, it's, but it's well worth your time. Yeah, no, it absolutely sounds like it. So yeah. speaking of the, 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 the race war, or the culture war, what are your thoughts on that? It seems like the uh, victimhood is, is the name of the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, again, this is a cultural issue. It is um, this, this pathological victimhood. I mean, look, it's, it is a lot easier in life to say that, what you did was a result of oppression rather than saying what I did was a bad choice on my part. I get it. That's so much easier, but we have moved into a place in society where you are allowed to be a victim. Um, and sometimes even glorified for being a victim. Um, if you, you know, show up to your job and you haven't submitted a report for something, but you're black, then for a lot of companies, you've been oppressed your whole life. So we're just going to let it slide. Um, and, and that trickles all the way down through school, you know, kids not turning in school assignments. Um, we, it, it, it's so easy to, to blame it on someone else and to blame it on the patriarchy or blame it on the, the big bad white man or blame it on the orange man or whatever the case may be, but that doesn't build character and it doesn't build strong people. Um, and I think that we would be a lot better off if people, you know, for, for me, the way that I was raised, um, if, if there's ever something that I don't get, like if I try out for something or I apply for something and I don't get it, or even if something goes down in, in my job, I feel like the first thing that people should do is to say to themselves, not necessarily what did I do wrong, but what could have I done better? What was my part in this? that achieved this result. Um, and unfortunately, I don't think kids are taught that these days. I don't think that's really like the, the, the way of thinking du jour. So um, I think, you know, I mean, I hate to keep going back to it, but it's, it's raising children who, um, who have to be pinned to the wall on the decisions that they make and they have to experience the repercussions. And, you know, I grew up in a household where I think it was Jeff Foxworthy. Um, the stand-up comedian was was talking about raising kids and kids who are always rambunctious and trying to get into things. And he said, go ahead and stick your finger in that light socket. You won't do it again. 
it's okay for children to get hurt. It's okay for your kid to fall off a bike and scrape his knee or bump his head or, you know, scrape his elbow. That's okay for your kid to experience pain. But we've gotten to, into a society where parents are trying to protect their children from every type of pain, whether it's physical from falling off their bike, emotional from a breakup or intellectual from getting a bad grade in school. And we have to stop with the bubble wrap and the helicopter parenting. Yeah. Yeah. And they keep moving the goalposts. So the latest I saw was that, uh, you know, the Asians are oppressed. And yeah, that's so, I think next they're going to start virtue signaling with yellow boxes. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, but, but on the other hand, Asians um, are now a part of white society. So they're also the oppressors, which is why you can have someone who applies at Harvard with the same GPA and the same yeah. SAT score. But if they're black and Asian, then the black person is going to get it and the Asian person isn't because the Asian is the oppressor because they're kind of sort of in our crazy world white. They, they call them white adjacent. That's the right. <laughs> yeah, because that makes which is, so which, is which is moronic adjacent. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But that's why I said it doesn't, they just moved the goalposts because it doesn't really make any yeah. sense. You can't be the oppressed and the oppressor at the same yeah. time, right? That, yeah. How does that work? I don't know. Um, and, and what if the Asian is, is Japanese and their grandparents were in internment camps in the 50s? Like, does that make them oppressed? Is, so is the Japanese brand of Asian oppressed? But then if you're Korean or Chinese, then you're the oppressor? Like, how, how do we delineate that? I haven't figured that out. Yeah. Changing <laughs> rules, my friend. Changing rules. Yes. They change the rules. They change the words. We have a lot of that going on right now. Yeah. It's a crazy, crazy time. Well, this is amazing. Do you have anything else you want to add? Any other? Yeah. Definitely tell people where to find you. And yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, politically, I know that a lot of people on our side feel like hope is lost. Um, yeah. You know, even if we are outnumbered in this country, hope is not lost for numerous reasons. Um, but I always think about uh, Sam Adams quote. Um, it does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom. Um, if that. you if you care about setting brush fires of freedom in the hearts and the minds of men, um, we will succeed because, you know, you look at the American Revolution where, I mean, no one, no one on the globe would have predicted that we were going to lose. I mean, you had the the world's military superpower up against a bunch of Yankee doodle dandies with, you know, homemade muskets. Um, but, but there was divine providence in that, whether you believe in whether it's God or the universe or whatever the case may be. But Americans, you know, there's a reason they talk about American grit. And we have it, and I don't think we've lost it. And even if we are in the minority, set those brush fires of freedom in, in the hearts and minds of men. Amazing, I love that. And I don't know if we're really in the minority. I'm not 100 I don't know sure if we are that. either. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure of that, but I do, I do love that. And I think that courage is really, really important right now. And when you talk yeah, about, you know, like our founding fathers, they had everything to lose, everything. Yeah. And liberty was yeah. important to them. And so they- Yeah, courage is contagious. And it's also the virtue on which every other virtue stands. So yes, be right, courageous, seek out- you know, and I always tell people, you know, speak out about stuff because 
there might be a time in the not too distant future where you can't. So yeah, speak up. speak up while you can. I love it. Yep. Tell people where to find you, the Hollywood conservative and where. where yeah. So online, the best way that you can support conservative voices like mine, you can head to my website, thehollywoodconservative.us. Uh, we've got a little form there. You can put your name and your email address in there. We send out daily newsletters. On Twitter, it's at Amanda Head. On Instagram, it's uh, the Hollywood Conservative. So I'm, I'm pretty ubiquitous. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.